Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Good morning, Hope Church. How many of you had to brave sleet or slush or some weird wintry weather mix on the way here? But you made it. I'm proud of you. Um, We are in the middle of a series this month called New Year, New You, and we've been talking about kind of uh, building off of this idea that we're, I'm surprised, we're almost at the end of January already, but it's the month where we tend to um, take evaluation of where we are in our lives, what's working, what is not working, where maybe are things like broken and we need to ask God to help fix them. And so maybe that's physical goals, maybe it's financial goals, but we're recognizing that we have spiritual goals. God wants to grow us and mature us in spiritual ways. And so when we say new year, new you, we wanna ask God to say, um, to show us where do I wanna make you a new creation? He's already been doing that work in your life if you said yes to him, and he wants to continue doing that. Um, But we've been going through, um, for the last couple weeks, uh, Tom talked in week one about making a choice, how we all have a choice, and truly the choice to not make a choice is a choice, right? Like, if you are not intentional, if you you just decide to wait and see what happens, you're making the choice to, to have something not happen, right? Um, we have to be intentional. We have to say yes to God. We have to allow him to build our yes to him. And then last week, I introduced us to a book, uh, which I forgot to bring today, and I apologize. Um, we are going through a book called uh, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, and we actually had a drawing for that. And so, again, I forgot to bring it, but I will bring it to you next week, or if I see you this week. But Heather Bear, are you here? Heather Bear won our our giveaway, so you'll be getting that. And I want to say, if you did not win, we are going to have an extra copy of that book, and I will try to keep that at the guest central area. So if you want to look at that book and see if it's even something you'd be interested in going through, we will have that copy. I promise that's on me today. Um, But we talked last week about a few spiritual disciplines as we start out, and those were the spiritual disciplines of slowing, of rest, and of examine, and that examine we talked about is inviting God to examine our day with us, to give him our highs and our lows and help him to shape us and show us where he wants us to grow. Um, and we realize that a lot of times we don't want to go slow. We don't want to, um, we don't want to, you know, it's hard for us to understand how rest fits into growth, for, especially for those of us who like to check off our productivity list. Um, but God wants us to cultivate disciplines that create space for more of his presence. And so that's what we talked about last week. And this week, we're going to be looking at a little bit different, um, maybe set of obstacles that we have to overcome in this new year, new you mentality. And I'm going to start off with a verse, Galatians 6, 9, and maybe you can pick up on the theme for this week. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, everyone say at the proper time, At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Everyone say, if we do not give up. That's right. How many of you sometimes feel weary? 
a little weary, a weary especially maybe in doing good, especially when you're like, I have been going, and I have been going, and I am going, and I'm just getting weary. And I don't think this verse is chastising us for feeling that feeling of weariness, but it's saying, even, even in those moments, don't become weary in such a way that you give up the good fight, that you quit the race that I called you to run, because there is a harvest that God wants to grow through you, right? Last week, we talked a little bit about fruits, The fruit of these spiritual disciplines is that God grows his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness in us. But the fruit that God is growing in you is never just for you. In fact, God wants to multiply that fruit. He wants to reproduce that fruit. And that is part of this harvest that God is doing in and through you. But there's a condition, right? There's a qualifier here. God will produce that harvest at the proper time if, if what? If we do not give up, God wants to grow fruit through our long-term obedience to him, our daily yeses to him, our perseverance. I was just talking to someone this week about this, how there are things in our life, if we're all honest, there are struggles, there are wrestles, there are um, maybe fights that we're in that require us to daily surrender to God and say, this, I just have to give it to you again and again and over and over because that is our daily yes. But if we're honest, a lot of us have maybe a perseverance problem or what I would call a resilience issue. Resilience is defined by Merriam-Webster Dictionary as the capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape after deformation caused especially by compressive stress. The capability of a strained body to recover its size and shape. And this actually makes me think a little bit about last week, how we talked about um, when you are, anytime we are chasing anything apart from God, it's going to malform us. It's going to shape us away from what Christ intended. And I believe that part of this, we we could even look at this and say, um, part of resilience is allowing God to, to like do the uncomfortable work of stretching us back into the shape that he designed us for. And that, I think, is part of what resilience is. It's, it's letting God do that uncomfortable work in us. But the second definition of resilience is an ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. The ability to recover from or adjust easily to misfortune or change. In fact, I think when you say someone is resilient, it often means they have gone through difficulty and change, right? You, you really can't have one without the other. We don't say someone is resilient if they've just, you know, had their, everything handed to them their whole life, right? The problem is we all want to be resilient. Nobody wants the misfortune and change, right? You're one step ahead of me. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking, you know what, resilience, Carrie, is like a a next generation issue, okay? It's not my generation's issue. And by the way, I think you can tell you're starting to get old when you're like, (laughs) youths these days, right? Like those whippersnappers, they have no resilience. There's just, it's not a me problem. Um, So how many of you, if your parents or grandparents or teachers or mentors, have you had conversations with kids or teens, like resilience conversations? The we can do hard things, conversations. I've had a few with my kids. In fact, this last couple of weeks, I feel like I've had you know, more than my fair share. Um, and I have one child in particular that last week told me he wanted to quit playing drums. And he wants to quit playing drums because he wants to play the clarinet. And, you know, I'm, I don't want to be that mom that squishes my kid's dream. In fact, I was looking up uh, famous clarinet players, and it seems we have a dearth like, half of them have passed away. Maybe, it's, maybe I'm looking at a bad list, but I was like, maybe we need some more clarinet players. So if my kid wants to be a famous clarinet player, sure. But I asked him, why? Why do you want to quit, clar- or quit drums? 
And he said, well, because clarinet's easier. This from the child who's never held a clarinet before in his life, <laughs> right? And so I said, no, you can't quit the drums because I know better than he does that if he quits the drums to play the easier clarinet, pretty soon he's going to find out that clarinet is hard too, and he's going to want to quit that. And his whole life he's going to be trying to find that thing that's easy, and it's not. Maybe it's not just our kids, though. Before I start getting angry letters from the teens in here, who am I kidding? Angry letters, angry Snapchats, angry... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, see, I'm old. I don't, I don't know how you guys talk anymore. Um, I want to I submit to you uh, picture evidence as proof that resilience is a multi-generational issue. We have here, I submit to you, the crustless peanut butter sandwich. All right, okay, okay. Some of you are thinking, the problem here is that kids these days will not persevere through the untasty part of the sandwich to get to the tasty filling, right? But I'm looking at us, you know, millennials, gen, gen uh, what are we, gen X, boomers, and I see that we see cutting the crust off of the sandwiches as a, an obstacle so insurmountable that we have to outsource it. Right? This is a multi-generational problem, people. <laughs> how often, if we're honest, on a serious note, how often are we so much like my nine-year-old? We've just replaced trading out instruments for other things that we want to quit, that are maybe more consequential. The relationship we trade in for an easier one, and I don't just mean romantic ones. If I'm honest, there's, there's relationships in my life that I've decided, ugh, it just feels like too much work. I don't like the tension. I don't like to be challenged. And I think I've missed out on things God wants to sharpen in my life because I'm, sometimes I just want to choose the easy relationships. Maybe it's the job or the ministry that we bounce around to, waiting to find one that's breezy. The volunteering, maybe that we start and quit and start and quit. Maybe it's that passion project, that thing that you know God has lit a fire in you to do. And you start and then you go and then it gets hard and then you quit because you thought, your passion project was just going to be easy. Maybe it's the health goal or resolution that we give up because the results were too slow, or the thing we never start because we wouldn't take the pain of practicing. That was another thing I had to talk to my son about. He wants to be a professional athlete, and he said this is an easy job, and so he doesn't have to work in school. And I said, I said son, do you know how many hours a week a professional basketball player practices? And he's like, yeah, go ahead, tell me, look it up. I was like, 60 hours a week. And he was like, what, what? <laughs> I said, anything worth doing takes time. It takes sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. Now, I know, I know what some of you are thinking in here because I'm good like that. And I know some of you are thinking, <laughs> Carrie, there are, there are some relationships that are toxic that you need to get out of. And there are some jobs that are like sucking your soul and you have to stop them. And there are some things that God actually wants you to quit. Yes. I a thousand percent agree, and I am not speaking to this here. I think there is a difference between quitting something that we know God is saying that's not good for you and quitting something because it just feels too hard right now, right? And if you're not sure of the difference, I think there's some of you right now who are in a place where you're trying to decide, I don't know. I don't know if I should stay or I'll go. I don't know what God's will is. And that's where I would go back to last week. These are things you have to sit with God. You can get advice from spiritual leaders, from mentors, from friends, but at the end of the day, you have to sit with you and God and let his spirit show you the way, okay? And I believe he will. I believe he'll show you. And I, I believe also if you make a mistake, he's still going to walk with you guys, okay? So don't, don't become paralyzed by fear there. But 
I will say, when it comes to spiritual growth, there's a lot of times that we struggle with resilience issues. And again, part of this ties back into what we talked about last week, slowness. Sometimes we are not willing to wait on God's work in our lives. So what happens when we're slow to see God working, growing us? What happens when the miracle we're praying for is delaying? It isn't coming. What happens when the excitement for our obedience to God starts to fade? What then? So today we're going to talk a little bit about rhythms for resilience. And I'm going to be honest, the, the first verse I'm going to share with you maybe is not a happy one for some of us, James 1, 2 through 4, because it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, again, we don't like this idea, but God often is going to say, I'm gonna, the places I'm going to most grow your perseverance and your resilience are through trials, through difficulties. And you have to let my work finish. You have to let that perseverance complete its work. Don't quit before you see the end. In some ways, God grows our resilience best through those trials and hardships, and that's the bad news. But I want to say today that there is, I, I believe there are spiritual disciplines that God, that we can allow God to use to produce resilience in us, um, to kind of build our, our resilience muscles, so to speak, um, to give us an expectation for resilience, to set us up for support when we find ourselves in difficult places. So we can begin practicing these disciplines even before the trial comes. Because the thing is, rhythm, rhythms for resilience are so important because there is a harvest at stake. And I know that God is calling each of you um, to love others, to change the world around you, to be a light of hope for others if you don't give up. And the truth is that the opposite of resilience is often avoidance. And we might think, the enemy wants us to think that if we avoid hard things, that it's easier. But the truth is, avoidance is more costly in the long run. I should know because I, I recently paid off a large chunk of student loans. Um, they, were, they were in deferment, right? So I could have waited. I could have avoided them. But this particular loan was building interest um, even during deferment. And I was like, I can pay this much now or I can pay a whole lot more later, right? And this is, this is why resilience is so hard because in the end, actually, resilience costs us a lot less and, and avoidance is going to cost us more. So what are these... Um, disciplines that we can jump into that will give us a rhythm for resilience. So I'm going to talk briefly today about community, the discipline of community, the discipline of waiting, and the discipline of detachment. So let's start with community. Um, we've talked about this before, so I won't sit here for too long, but community is such an important thing. The problem is, again, resilience, part of our problem here is that when things get hard, often we feel like pulling back. We feel like isolating. We feel like hiding from other people. We're afraid to let people see our burdens and our weakness. And God says, no, you need other people with you. In fact, maybe you started to believe the lie that spiritual maturity means that you're going to get to the point one day where you don't need other people. Oh, that is such a lie. We never outgrow the need for reliance on other people. Maybe we're afraid of dependence and vulnerability, but the path to resilience is precisely through dependence and vulnerability. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Again, that goes back to the harvest. We're working towards something. We're laboring towards something. And when we labor with others, we have a good return on that labor. And verse 10 says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. 
We're not meant to go alone. In fact, this verse presupposes that we're going to be stumbling sometimes, right? We're, we're probably going to be walking on a road that is rocky, that is uneven, and we may trip, we may fall. And I believe part of what this verse is saying is that you don't wait until those moments when you're stumbling to ask for help or to, or to find someone to walk with you. Because in resilience, if you're practicing resilience, you've already got those people next to you that are already walking with you so that when you fall, you've already got someone to reach out and help you up. One of the reasons I love being on a teaching team here at Hope Church, aside from the fact that Tom is pretty awesome, um, I think it's really biblical that God and, and, the, and Jesus in the Bible would often send missionaries out in pairs. He would send, um, you know, Paul and Barnabas would go out um, two by two, they would go out in, in community, and there was protection and encouragement and, um, and challenge built into that. And so I believe that there's something powerful about going out, even in our ministry, even the things that God's called you to, don't go it alone. Go with somebody. Community is messy. We've talked about that. But Calhoun, Adele Calhoun, in her book, assures us that the fruit of community works against the spirit of isolation and independence that cripples the church. It helps us to participate in small groups where we are known and we're encouraged to grow in our faith. That's why we, we promote life groups so much here. But even if you're not in life group, find those, those people, those, those friendships, those coffee dates where you can go and be challenged and encouraged in your faith. It helps us move from independence and self-absorption to others-centeredness. And it allows us to reveal God's love through caring for others. Community is one of the foundational principles and disciplines we need to build and grow in order to develop resilience. And the second discipline I want to share is the discipline of waiting. And I'm going to do an add-on a little, little bit about fasting in this as well. But the discipline of waiting, kind of like slowness, none of us really wants to wait, Right? In fact, I would say that we are in a culture right now that, if anything, is training us for the opposite of waiting because we can get things on demand, we can stream things now, and if we have to wait for something, usually it's like, I can get overnight shipping, it can be here by tomorrow. We are not as practiced at waiting as we once were. In fact, I think we've begun to believe the lie, maybe, that waiting is the opposite of God's blessing, that maybe it's a sign we didn't pray hard enough or do the right thing, or maybe we're not good enough. But waiting is essential to resilience and trust in God's goodness, even when our circumstances say otherwise. Calhoun says this, and I think it's so important. Waiting does not mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean God hasn't heard you. It doesn't mean you're wasting time. Waiting is an invitation to wait with the God, for the God who comes to us like the spring rain, uh, who comes to us like the spring rain when it's time. When it's time, that goes back to the Galatians 6, 9 verse. God's producing a harvest. He's, he's going to show up when he promises to, but in his time, we have to keep practicing waiting. And one way we might do that sometimes actually looks like this other discipline of fasting. And again, um, in Calhoun's book, actually, you're going to see fasting under prayer as a discipline because a lot of times we fast and pray in, in tandem. It's a way for us to like submit to God for a specific period of time and ask God for direction and, um, and really focus in on him. But I also believe that fasting from something, even if it's not food, fasting can allow us to grow that muscle, stretch that muscle of waiting. Whether you give up wine for a month or give up social media for a month or um, just say for a period of time, I'm not going to buy clothes for myself. I'm just, I'm just going to wait on purchases for a while. Any time that we say no to something that we don't have to say no to, 
it develops that waiting muscle in us. It develops um, a trust in God's goodness and timing. And we're gonna, it'll lead me eventually to our next discipline of detachment. But, but know that sometimes saying no to something now helps, helps us to learn to trust God in those moments when we don't have control, when something is taken from us without our, our say-so. The fruit of waiting, Calhoun says, is stepping into God's view of time. It's very different than ours. Sustaining hope when things don't happen on your timeline. And again, trusting in God's goodness and timing. Is he good? Can we believe that he's good even in the waiting? I love that song that we sang, um, um, that we offer these, these um, altars in the wilderness and those moments that we're stuck in the waiting times and we offer an altar to God of surrender and then we look back and we see that those altars in the wilderness are signs of his faithfulness. What a beautiful and powerful reminder. And here's a quick contrast in waiting for you, um, just as an example, from the Old Testament, um, kind of what, what waiting doesn't look like and what waiting ought to look like. And so in the Old Testament, there is a story about Saul. And the Israelites, um, after God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, and they became a people and they became settled, they demanded a king, and God finally let them have a king. And so he anointed this man, Saul. And Saul was, you know, at first he was, he was pretty good, but he had some moments where he did not follow God faithfully and wait on God. And in this particular story, his refusal to wait on God costs him his royal position. So 1 Samuel 13, we see that Saul chooses to attack this enemy, and it went poorly, and, Paul, and Saul's men were scattering. And Saul was waiting on the prophet Samuel to come and present a sacrifice to the Lord, and this sacrifice to the Lord was meant to, to invite God's favor over the battle that they were about to face. Um, but Samuel takes his sweet time. He does not get there when Saul expects him to. And so, what does Saul do? Well, we, it, we see that he says, um, he takes matter into his own hands. And so, uh, in verse 10, it says, just as Saul finished making the offering, because he decided, well, okay, Samuel's not here, I will make the offering myself, even though I'm not supposed to do it. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, well, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And I almost like to picture this interaction between Samuel and Saul as like a, a parent and a child. He's like, what have you done? And, and Saul's like, well, you see what had happened was, so there was this thing and then I was, <laughs> the guys were right there and it was kind of hectic and chaotic and I don't know, so I just... Um, and what I think is interesting is maybe we've all been there. You've been in those moments where you see everything around you come pressing in and you are starting to feel overwhelmed. And maybe it's the, um, maybe it's, you know, the deadline breathing down your neck or it's the boss or it's the relationship or it's the, the, the medical issue and you just start to feel completely overwhelmed. And so you say, maybe God's not coming. Maybe he's not going to act. Maybe I should just stop doing things his way and take things into my own hands. And oh my goodness, I've been there so many times. And this is another reason why we need to develop these disciplines of resilience in the calm times, in the, in the regular seasons of our lives, so that when we face the panic, when we face the battle, we have, we have trained ourselves to, to listen to God and trust him and expect him to show up in his timing. Because here's what Samuel says. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the Lord's command. 
If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. So the consequence in this case for him not waiting on the Lord was that he wasn't going to get to have this enduring kingdom. And so there are consequences to us not trusting God, to not waiting on his timing. Now listen, I understand. I understand that God understands even our anxiety, our fear, that those things crop up. He understands that sometimes it is hard for us to wait on him. But this is why he tells us over and over things like, like be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. He says, humble yourselves before God's, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Again, that's our phrase. God's going to lift you up in his timing. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And sometimes we practice waiting to learn to trust in God's goodness and his timing even when we don't see it, even when it doesn't look the way we want it to. Maybe even we start to say, this is Calhoun's suggestion, one of the things she has us practice is when you feel that feeling of, of out of control in the waiting, is learning to just give that emotion to God. Say, God, I, I, feel, I feel overwhelmed. I feel trapped. I feel chaotic. And let God speak his words over you. Let God speak to you in that, in that feeling. Other times we practice waiting by not jumping into a solution on our own. And here's the contrast story I want to share. We, we learned about Saul and how he refused to wait. But I want to share you quickly a story about David now. And David was the king that eventually replaced Saul. But what's interesting is, um, and I believe Tom talked about this recently, but David was anointed king when he was young. Do you know that, that scholars believe that, that David waited 14 or 15 years from when he was anointed to when he was actually made king? That's a long time to wait. And during that time, Saul actually found out that David was going to be the next king, and he got so mad at David that he tried to kill him. And for, for a while, he was pursuing Saul. And in this story that we see in 1 Samuel 24, um, Saul had actually brought an army of people out to, to find David and kill him. And Saul goes into this cave not realizing that David is in the back with his men. And um, the, the, David's men all look at David and they're like, dude, this is your chance. Saul is here in the cave. He doesn't know we're here. God clearly is delivering Saul into your hands. You can kill him. Make this whole thing go away. You get to be king. And if it were me, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds like a good plan, right? But David, who is called a man after God's own heart, knew better. And he said, no. He said, Saul is still God's anointed. He is, he is, God has put this man in, in, in the position that he's in, and I am not going to do anything. I will I'll leave this in God's hands. It's his to avenge. And so, in fact, he says this. Um, he, he finally tells Saul later on, he's like, I was here. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And he says, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me um, by delivering me from your hand. David defers to God. He trusts in God's timing. He trusts even in God's vengeance. He says, I'm not going to take revenge. I'm going to leave that to God. And that's so hard for us to do. But David shows us that waiting on God is this opportunity for us to submit to God's plan and trust that he's going to vindicate us in his timing. And sometimes we have to, again, grow our trust for God in the difficult moments by choosing to obey our trust when we don't have to. David didn't have to. He could have taken this opportunity, but he didn't. And in the same way, God wants us to give him opportunities, even when we don't have to, to learn to grow in obedience to him. And this leads me to my final discipline today, the discipline of detachment. Um, now, what is detachment? I, I believe it is learning to let go of things 
that cannot sustain us, that cannot give us hope, that do not ultimately fulfill us, and learning to attach ourselves fully to the God who gives us everything we need. According to Calhoun, detachment nurtures the spirit of trust that is attached to God alone. And the freedom, oh, sorry, the fruit of detachment is freedom from addiction to your children, to your family, your house, your money, your job. In other words, anything else that we might rely on that might take the place of our reliance on God. She says it's learning the lessons of letting go so you'll be prepared for the final letting go of death. My mom has talked about this, that somehow life just feels like a constant learning to let go more and more. And we can practice that, knowing that God is the one we're holding on to. She says the fruit is dying to yourself, losing your life to find it, and freedom to live as God's beloved. Freedom to live as God's beloved. Because when we're holding on to everything else and we're trying to let those things fill us and, and, and ultimately we're saying, love me and fill me and, and give me happiness, and God says, no, when you let go of all those things, you're going to find great joy as my beloved, rooted in an identity that is only in me. And so Calhoun tells us we can practice giving away things, giving away time, giving away resource, giving away our energy, giving away our comforts, because sometimes we become too attached to those things and they keep us from resilience, right? I know that's, the, that's true for my own life. Sometimes I just want things to be comfortable and easy, and God says, I'm not always calling you to comfortable and easy. Yes, I'm going to give you rest. Yes, I'm the God who gives you peace and gives you moments of rest and joy. Those are gifts for me. But I'm also going to call you to go through the fire sometimes. But know that I'm going to be with you. Detachment goes hand in hand with surrender. In fact, God was showing me this week that the things that I have the hardest time with, that I get the most triggered by, are when I feel like people are taking control for me or when they're putting expectations on me that, that maybe I didn't expect. Um, I've been struggling with this a little bit recently, even with uh, some stuff uh, with DCF, and I'm like, oh, I just get so annoyed when people place expectations on me, or they make plans for my kid that I, I don't have any control over. And I was asking God, well, God, how can, I, how can I let go of this to you? How can I allow you to grow resilience in me in this place? And he said to me, why don't you surrender those things you're holding on to before you feel like someone takes them from you? Surrender those things to me first. In other words, preemptively surrender, because guess what? The enemy cannot steal something from you that you have already placed in God's hands, all right? And the truth is that, that like in the situation with fostering, sometimes I think, oh my gosh, I have no control over my kid. And God's like, yeah, honey, you don't have control over any of your kids. You just have the illusion of control over your other three, right? And he says to me, I want you to give, give me your child. I want you to give me your house. I want you to give me your finances because I'm going to hold on to them, for, to them for you and I can do a better job holding on to them than you can. And if you let go of those things now, if you surrender those things to me, then no one's taking them from you. No one's forcing you to do things. No one's, no one, whatever it is that you are afraid to let go of, give it in God's hands. Again, someone can't take what we've already surrendered and placed in the powerful hands of God. And at the end of the day, this exercise grows resilience in the most beautiful way because it makes us take stock of what we're really placing our hope in. What are you placing your trust in? Maybe you've heard the phrase that hope is a dangerous thing. And it's a dangerous thing if you're placing your hope in something flimsy. But Romans 5, 5 tells us that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
what ultimately develops perseverance in us is recognizing that even though everything else in our life can be taken away, right? Our finances, our health, our kids, we might struggle with all those things. At the end of the day, even our life might be taken from us, but nobody can take us from the love of Christ. Nobody can take God from us. And I'm going to have a real moment with you today, if that's okay. Um, the last couple of weeks have been hard for me, and I'm, I apologize. I'm going to get emotional probably. Um, it's been a rough week, and especially with foster care, I've just had these moments over and over where I just feel like the control is being pried away from me, and I've really struggled. I've struggled with uncertainty. I've struggled with unknown. I'm like, I don't know where we're going. Sometimes like, it's almost like with the medical diagnosis where you're like, if I just knew what was wrong, at least then I would know, and I hate being in a position where I don't know what's going to happen, and it drives me crazy. And last week, actually, we were in the middle of worship, and I was really struggling and wrestling to surrender my kids, wrestling to surrender this situation to God. And I felt like God gave me this really simple image. Um, and I felt like he, he showed me this picture of me going to my front door when, in the morning, opening the door, and I'm expecting something terrible, right? I'm expecting, because like my brain, I don't know about yours, but when I, um, my imagination will go to the worst case scenario, and I'm like, what if this thing happens, and then that thing happens, and then this thing happens, and then so the next thing I know, I'm imagining someone showing up at my house with like a gun, and I'm like, ah, what's happening? Um, so I, I picture this moment where I'm opening the door, and I think something terrible is going to be waiting there for me, and instead it's Jesus and it's Jesus, and it's his face looking back at me. And then I think God showed me that every day, each morning I would open the door, and each morning Jesus is standing there waiting for me. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't know what's waiting for me tomorrow. I don't know what's waiting for you tomorrow, okay? But I believe that when you believe in Jesus, when you place your trust in him, every day you open that door, it is Jesus who is waiting for you in each new day to carry you, to hold you, to sustain you. And I want to tell you this too, because sometimes I think we start to think that the, that the money or the happiness or the other things in our life, sometimes I think we pray, oh God, give me these things, and we start to treat Jesus like he's some consolation prize. But Jesus is not your consolation prize. He is it. He is everything. Yeah. He is enough. The problem is sometimes I think we don't believe that. And then the stripping process and the detaching process and the letting go process, God is saying, I want to get you to the place where you truly believe that I am enough for you. And I would challenge you this week because I asked God, how can I do this? How can I start living like you're in each day for me? And so for me this week, I feel like God wanted me to take, I took out my agenda, my planner that I live and die by, and I wrote down Jesus in bold print in every single one of those squares every single one. And if, I mean, if you're a planner like me, so I'm looking through and I'm looking ahead and I'm like, oh, this day is going to be hard. And oh, I'm not looking forward to that. But Jesus is there. And I open my planner and I look at that and I know that Jesus is waiting for me. And I don't know what God might call you to do. Maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's um, a phone reminder. Um, maybe it is um, something that you, gosh, go out and get a tattoo. I don't care. But ask God what it is that he wants to show you that he is with you every single day, no matter what. And that, my friends, is what's going to grow resilience in you. That is what's going to keep you going when you feel like giving up, when you say, I've given it my all, God, and I don't know if I can give anything else. God says, I'm with you, and I'm carrying you, and I'm going to see you through. Let's pray. God, um, I thank you that you are the God who never runs out, who never gives up, who never, ever fails us. I thank you, God, that you have more resilience 
uh, you have the resilience for all of us. You have more than enough that you want to grow that strength in us, God, not, to, not just to make us go through difficult things, but because you can see the harvest, you can see the joy, you can see the promise that you're calling us to. God, I pray that you would fill each and every one of us with a reminder of what you're calling us to. Give us that vision, that hope, that promise. And God, I pray that you would help us to run with endurance the race that you've marked out for us. And Jesus, right now, I pray that for each and every person, that you would fill them with a sense of your presence and that you would remind them that in each new day, you are there. You are waiting for them and with them. And will you show us how you're carrying us, God? We love you so much. Amen.